Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is beaverblitz.com beat writer Carter Baines. Carter, we are at the end of November. How in the heck are you? Pretty hard to believe that the uh, the regular season's already over, but here we are, 12, 12 games in. Uh, and for once, for the first time in about eight years, there's more football to be played. So we're going to have a, a busy month, and I'm I'm actually pretty fired up about it. I think it's going to be fun to kind of dive into some things that we haven't really gotten a chance to do over the last decade or so. So it's a first for me, for sure, covering the team uh, to, to get to talk bull game. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty interesting next couple of weeks for sure. Yes, it is. And i um, super excited because it's been a, a busy season. Um, and just, we are taping this Monday, Cyber Monday, and I would be remiss if I did not mention this. So if you are listening to this podcast, as soon as we release it, make sure, and you're not a member of Beaver Blitz, you will want to jump on board with our Cyber Monday promotion, 75% off an annual membership to Beaver Blitz. That will give you an entire year of Beaver Blitz coverage, membership into the lodge and all the 24 seven sports sites for 26.85 total. It's huge. So we will not run another sale this big. Um, and there's a lot going on. Like Carter said, um, we have bowl game to talk about. We have signing day coming up December 15th, which we used to, you know, the big signing day used to be in February and now, um, big signing day is actually December. So, um, it's going to be a very busy three, four weeks here at Beaver Blitz. So definitely jump on board, but, uh, let's go back and talk a little Oregon game, Carter. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about Oregon because it did not go super great. Let's just talk. You were down in Autzen and, uh, you know, we watched the same game. First half, what were your thoughts? Well, it was a tale of two halves, really. Like, I mean, it was a, a textbook tale of two halves. When, when you hear that phrase, uh, that's, that's the Oregon, Oregon State matchup in, in 2021. Because Oregon got out to about as hot of a start as you could get, uh, scored on every single possession in the first half. And uh, it, it was it really, you know, the, the game wasn't in question after the first two drives or so, because Oregon goes 75 yards or, or whatever on the first drive, scores a touchdown, that fourth down conversion. Oregon State stalls. And then what do you know? Oregon State's defense reverts back to the, uh, the pre-Trent Bray days and can't get Oregon off the field. And, you know, they just dug themselves too big of a hole to, to get out of and I'll give the Beavers credit. We'll talk second half here in a minute, I'm sure, but give, give the Beavers credit for fighting back. But I think that first half really just set them back so far that, um, you know, regardless of what they did in the second half, they weren't going to have a chance. Yeah. It, it, what got me, first of all, was just how good Joe Moorhead and the Oregon Ducks offensive game plan was. Um, I thought they, they gave Oregon State a completely different look that we had seen, than we had seen all season from the Ducks. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, and also, I mean, we can talk, we, we talked about the Beavers defense, but how about the Beavers offense? 80 yards at halftime is, is all they were able to uh, put together. So um, they struggled as well. Well, I think the, the big issue with Oregon State's offense is that quick score by, by Oregon kind of took them out of their script 
adjust a little bit. And, you know, coming into this game, we said, what does Oregon State need to do? Well, it needs to follow the, uh, the blueprint that Utah set a week prior. Stack the, you know, stack the O-line with two or three tight ends, put Jack Coletto in at fullback, hand it off to B.J. Baylor, uh, and, and just ride your running game, get some play action involved there too. But, you know, Oregon State was, was really limited with what it was able to do in the running game just because it was playing from behind. And early in the game, you know, you still got plenty of time to, to do what works for you, run the ball and, and take some time off the clock. You know, it doesn't really impact the game as much early early on but when you get behind by a couple of scores in the first quarter you start to panic a little bit and you, you want to get back back in the game quickly and you start throwing it a bit more i'll give chance nolan credit i, I thought he played pretty well I, I know that he missed some throws that that really would have changed um the outcome of the game had he made them but at the end of, at the end of the day he had a career day and um you know it, it, it wasn't enough but I think if Oregon State was able to find some more success in the running game early on, uh, you know, things things could have been a little different. You, do you think that the coaching staff did panic and abandon the run a little too soon? That's possible. I'm I'm trying to pull up. Okay, here it is. 21 rushing attempts. So so yeah, Oregon State runs about 21 times when it had been running at about what 40 to 50 times per game. Um, so I I think it's pretty safe to say that they didn't run it enough. But like I said to an extent you kind of couldn't because of the fact that you can't take too much time off the clock. And in the second half in particular, they, they pretty much completely abandoned it, which at, at that point, I mean, there's not much, not much else you can do, but the success wasn't there to begin with anyways, you know, Oregon yeah. state was only averaging four yards per rush and that matchup that we talked about with the tight ends, um, you know, trying to contain cave on Thibodeau none of that worked to the extent that we expected it to anyways so you know you, Speaking I guess of you, can't really, you, you can't really blame them from going away from something that wasn't working anyways. yeah yeah speaking of tight ends I do want to give a quick shout out to Luke Musgrave who had his best game as a beaver I think um I know he came checked in as number one on your list of top performers um that was the Luke Musgrave I think you and I both have been waiting to see yeah, hundred percent. So he he took nine. He got nine targets, which was um, tied for the team high, and he converted that into seven catches, which was, <clears throat> excuse me, by by far a career high. Going into this game, his best mark uh, was four, and so he almost doubled that. He got his first career receiving touchdown. Of course, he scored uh, earlier in the season on that that punt block return for a touchdown. Um, but the seven catches, 85 yards and the touchdown, I mean, you've, you've got career best marks in multiple categories there. And uh, he was efficient. You know, like, like we said, the nine targets turning into seven catches, that's something that the Luke Musgrave of the 11 games prior wasn't going to be able to do. I, I think he's just really gained confidence in himself as the year's gone on. We've seen a lot fewer drops uh, and, you know, converting that many targets into that many catches, I think, speaks to the progress he's made throughout the year. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. And I also want to give a shout out to Zariah Beeson, who um, had struggled some this year. And I, I think Beaver Nation was really expecting him to have a breakout year, but um, he's had some drops, some bad throws. Um, he had a he had a good game as well. So um, hats off to those those two. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about it got a little chippy there at the end. Were you surprised that it got chippy or is it something that you kind of expect in a rivalry game? It's something you expect in a rivalry game, but I'll tell you what, it's something you expect after the thing that happened prior to that. So if you watch the game, you know how it unfolded. Verone McKinley in the third 
Stafford uh, makes makes a play on <laughs> on Treshawn Harrison. It, it was targeting. You know, there's there's no way around it. It was it was targeting the the Pac-12 replay crew begs to differ, but um, I've I, never I seen if, such a textbook target in my entire life. I mean, seriously. I think I think if you sit there with the rule book and you watch the play over and over again from multiple angles, you'll see uh, there's there's nothing there to overturn that call. And you know, all of the pundits and you know the commentators, and I've, I've even seen John Wilner on Twitter, uh, John Canzano, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the list is endless. The, the consensus from everybody but the Pac-12 officiating staff is that uh, that that was pretty clear targeting. But then the, the impact of that is a couple plays later. You know, you've got Treshawn Harrison who's getting into it a little bit with an Oregon player, and then a you know an altercation breaks out on the other side of the field. And then when that starts to kind of devolve a bit, then Harrison goes in and he ends up getting ejected for fighting. And, you know, the, the whole situation, I think, was maybe not necessarily entirely sparked, but certainly elevated by the fact that that targeting call was overturned. Because if, you know, if, if you remember, the targeting penalty was, um, it, it was brought to be in order to protect players. And so if you've got the refs not protecting the players, you're going to have teammates standing up for each other. And unfortunately, a lot of the time that means, you know, when, when you've got your teammates back, oftentimes that means you get into an altercation here or there. And I, I think that's, I think that's kind of the crux of, of what you saw. So from the TV, we saw, I know you were like down on the field when this happened. So it, there was like a, the duck player, like, had Anthony Gould on the ground yanking his helmet off and then yeah it was like four ducks around Gould and then Treshawn comes and like kind of throws a punt I don't know in my opinion in my opinion though I I have no I mean I I have no I'm not making any excuses I'm not saying that that Harrison did not deserve to be tossed for that but you can't tell me that a duck player didn't deserve to be tossed as well I mean the one that tore Anthony Gould's helmet off I mean that's ridiculous yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of walk you through what I saw because you mentioned that I was I was standing on the ten yard line on the Oregon State sideline and this unfolded in the end zone. So it was, you know, give or take probably thirty five yards away from me because uh, it was you know towards the other side of the of the field. But it what started to unfold on my half of the field was Treshawn Harrison and Dante Manning kind of jawing at each other a little okay. bit. As, as the play is unfolding, as Chance Nolan is diving into the end zone for a touchdown, Harrison and Manning are going face-to-face, okay. um, kind of outside of the pile. Then what unfolds inside the pile is, is Trey Lowe kind of gives a, a little shove in the back to an Oregon player. It wasn't an egregious shove or anything, but it, it caused a little something to go down where an Oregon player took an Oregon State player to the ground. Um, who I, I wasn't able to see the number, but I believe that was Anthony Gould. Then they go behind the pile from where I'm at, so I can't necessarily see it from my angle or from the video I took. But when I watched it back on replay from the TV side, um, you could see you know Gould and multiple Oregon players going at it. One of them, who I believe was it was DJ James, um, he te- he tears Anthony Gould's helmet off, throws it to the ground. And then going back to Harrison, this is the angle I saw again. Harrison runs in um, and goes back towards Dante Manning, who he had originally gotten that altercation with. And he, Manning, is the one that Harrison uh, okay. came 
when hit from behind. Okay. So it, I think it would be a lot different if Harrison was going after DJ James who ripped the helmet off, but it was the altercation before the before. fact. That I think and we didn't see that Harrison. on TV. Yeah, I think that is what led Harrison to enter the mix. Um, because in the moment, I thought that Harrison was going for James to come to Gould's defense. Uh, but but upon second watch of the video that I took from my angle, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of, it, it showed that Harrison was going to, he was just targeting Manning. Yeah, you bring up, like I said, I, to be honest, I mean, I hate seeing fights break out in football, but I also like to see the, t- the teams have some spark and fight in them and protect each other. So, um, and, and you're right. I think if that targeting call hadn't been reversed, I don't think it got, it would get as chippy, but you're right. The officials are supposed to protect players and their health, not protect players so that they can play in the Pac-12 championship. And that's, yeah. that's and- the rub. I think it feels like the ref, the, the officiating crew was trying to protect Oregon's players for the championship game. And again, you know, I, I don't know the intent. I'm not in Trish on Harrison's head, but I think the fact that he was on the receiving end of that no call uh, or the call and then the reversal, you know, maybe that led to him being a little more hot in the moment. Um, and, you know, maybe that's why he went back for Manning when the fight broke out. Um, I, like I said, I, I, I don't know what the intent was there, but I, I think that probably has something to do with it. And then, you know, the, the initial with Gould and, and the Oregon players, you know, Gould's probably upset about that too. He's a receiver, yeah. you know, Harrison's yeah. his teammate, his, his position mate, his friend. So I, I think, I think the emotion of the game and, and that call just kind of. I think James though should have been ejected as, or had been disciplined as well, though. You don't pull guys head or helmets off. Yeah, and I think that hundred percent that's, you know, that's, and I, I saw former players um, weighing in on Twitter and, I even saw a quiz. I, I tweeted a couple of things and then I had a ton of duck trolls come piling in. And, you know, like John Canzano said it best. He said, flip the colors and Oregon fans would have been just as mad if that targeting call had been reversed. So, um, but Jaquiz said, I, he goes, I typically don't get into it with fans, but, you know, he, he agreed that, you know, the, the guy that tore helmet off of Anthony Gold should have been tossed to. It should have been two, but it's a moot point. It's, it's a done deal. Yeah. It's, it's inconsequential, inconsequential yeah. to the outcome of the game. Um, it, it now, stinks that we even have to discuss it, but I think, well, the fact that Trayshawn Harrison's going to miss part of the bowl game and the fact that, you know, this did unfold, you know, we, we do have to talk about it, but yeah, there but are, I th- there it, are it'll fire important up th- things from this game. Yeah. And there, it'll fire up some guys, I think for next year. I mean, it just keeps that rivalry. I saw uh, Mario Cristobal today did say that Oregon State is their biggest rival, which I'm sure will really ruffle the feathers of Husky fans because they like to think of each other as the biggest rivals. But um, no, it was, like I said, straight up Oregon State got beat. But I did like to see the fight. I like to see them come back and make a, make a game of it. Um, but now let's move ahead a little bit because now we can talk bowl game. And like you said earlier, when we opened, we haven't talked bowl game for a long time. For Oregon State, so I know you have been spending the day researching, and we're going to have a, a huge breakdown tomorrow at Beaver Blitz. But Carter, tell me, where do you think we end up? So it's it's funny you, you kind of teased the right? you, yeah you teased the uh, the article that will go up tomorrow Tuesday at, at Beaver Blitz. I've 
spent the last few hours today kind of going through all of the scenarios for all of the teams and all of the bulls that are involved within the Pac-12 footprint. And what everything that I have been able to kind of deduce from this makes it look like Oregon State is probably 75% or greater. Um, there's a 75% or greater chance that Oregon State goes to the LA Bowl, which of course is the uh, the quote unquote sixth place bowl in the, in the Pac-12, but I think a more attractive option than some of the others. Um, Oregon State would most likely be going up against the Mountain West champion, which looks like it'll probably be San Diego State. So if I was predicting right now, and I'll have my projection on Wednesday, along with that of some other college football experts, uh, I would put Oregon State in the LA Bowl against San Diego State. Okay. And I think it's important that I'm excited to read your article tomorrow because there is a ton of fake news out there and, and a lot of media people do, who are not doing their homework because there's a lot of, um, this isn't just a cut and dry, you know, Rose Bowl picks, then the Alamo picks. There's a lot of, well, they have a choice, but they can't jump. And yeah, so I'm thankful for you for actually doing the, the groundwork there, the legwork and, and figuring this out a little more. So, um, but it sounds like San Diego, Vegas, or LA. Is kind of what you're telling me. Yeah. You're, you're telling me I don't need to go to El Paso. That's exactly correct. And I'm about as grateful as anyone there because during the game at Autzen, I was sitting up there when it was very clear that Oregon State wasn't going to win. I, I, you know, checked the flights from Portland or Eugene to, to El Paso. And when I saw the price tag on those, I said, uh, okay, send us to LA, please. <laughs> so from from what i've gathered here and again this this article will go up tomorrow tuesday at, at beaver blitz oregon state is fairly limited in where it can go um, in fact oregon state and utah actually have the fewest possibilities um, the, the fewest possible destinations of the pac-12 team so utah can either go to the rose bowl or alamo bowl that is it they only have two choices oregon state meanwhile could go to the Las Vegas Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, or the LA Bowl. So those are the only three. Everything else is off the table. Mathematically, it's not possible based on the way that this selection process works. And again, I, I highlight all of this, uh, and you'll be able to read that on Tuesday. Um, but if, you know, I, I, I can't say which of the three it's going to be with certainty, um, but just know that Los Angeles is the most likely destination. Okay, and that's before Christmas, but you have that all lined out for us as well on um, Wednesday, um, kind of so Beaver plants and fans can kind of start figuring out when they might be on the road and, and all of that. So um, again, if you're not a member of Beaver Blitz and you are listening to this on Monday, I'm, I'm sorry you don't get more lead time on this, but it's been, we've been promoting it for four days now. It is Cyber Monday at Beaver Blitz, 75% off an annual membership. Uh, this promotion ends at midnight Eastern time, Monday, the uh, 29th of November. So you don't have a lot of time, but get in on it and save some cash. Um, okay, th this is going to throw you because you weren't planning on this one, but I was just in the lodge and the um, pro football focus put out their all pack 12 team. Have you, have you checked that out? I have seen it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of at a loss right here. Okay. So Chance Nolan and Trevon Bradford first team. Okay, that's that's fair. I, I've seen Chance has been, you know, statistically in, in their metrics, he's been rated high. Alton Julian and Luke Lecker, Hunter, second team. Okay, this is what gets me here. BJ Baylor, third team. What in the actual hell? I'm sorry, I'm gonna swear because that is that is crazy. 
I think the justification there is okay. Actually, yeah, no. Do you have there any justification? No, <laughs> no, no. You know, I, I was I was thinking about a way I could spin that, but no, there there really is no. There's no way you can make that make is. sense. I mean, he, he leads the pack. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, pro football focus takes into account all sorts of different scenarios, and it only and... it only accounts for the plays that you're in and what I don't know it's a there's a lot that goes into it that I don't even quite frankly understand but what I do know is that BJ Baylor led the Pac-12 in rushing by a pretty wide margin Mm -hmm. and um, you know whatever metrics you want to use to try to justify a third team selection I highly doubt that's where he's going to end up when the Pac-12 coaches vote okay but here's even more this is even more egregious in my opinion not making the list Roberts, Avery Roberts. That's your Pac-12 tackle leader right there. Yeah, Not yeah. I, first, I, I don't second, even. Or third team. So, um, okay. And again, so... like, I, like I said, you know, pro football focus takes into account your just pretty much every aspect of your game. And I know that Avery Roberts has not been great in coverage this year. And I have to imagine that that's probably what's holding him back a bit. Um, but know, he, he, we've talked about it throughout the season. Yeah. Oregon State's linebackers have, you know, been been burned a few times. But I think the statistics, I mean, the numbers just do not lie. Like, like he has to be at least a third teamer, yeah. right? I'm, I'm sorry, that's that is complete I, crap. I I think I think to me, the thing that stands out is uh, Oregon State has three linemen on these teams. Eldridge, Keobunum, and Kipper are all third teamers. No mention of Joshua Gray, who has been one of the highest rated linemen in the Pac-12 all year. Again, a crime. (laughs) And then, you know, you talk about Oregon State having the best offensive line in the conference and and one of the best in the country, and nobody's higher than third team. Okay. So we're going to just throw this in the fake news pile, too. I mean. Like I said, when the coaches vote, this is going to look very different. I mean, I'm serious. Does nobody in the media do any kind of research anymore? I th- it feels like they just like throw together popularity contests. I feel like I'm high school prom king again, prom queen and king voting. It's it's really stupid. But anyway, I just want to get your quick thoughts on that because I've been at a couple appointments today and I missed some of that this morning. And um, yeah, those those couple things just kind of stood out. So, but now I want to switch gears again because busy time at Beaver Blitz right now. Let's talk a little recruiting, Carter. Do you love signing day as much as I do? I don't think I appreciate it to the extent that you do, but it is always an exciting time because um, it's all projection, right? I mean, you can you can look ahead three, four years in the future and say, oh, I think this guy is going to be a big contributor on this 2024 team. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's always exciting to get some big time talent on campus. And that's something that Oregon State's starting to do a little bit more. You're, you're starting to see these prep recruits uh, you know, gain a little bit. Uh, you're, you're starting to see the scores, the ratings, the the 24/7 rankings uh, reach reach levels that they haven't necessarily in the last few years. So it's really interesting. So right now, um, Oregon State has 14 commits, um, ranked nationally 52, Pac-12 ranked six, with an average rating of 0.8578. That puts that class probably then is a, a slightly higher, probably one of the highest overall ranked classes we've seen uh, 14 small sample size but what we haven't really talked about and this is all it all is so interconnected is all the movement with coaching staffs so 
just yesterday, we heard Lincoln Riley's going to USC. Um, Washington just got their guy in Fresno's DeBoer. Um, things are kind of starting to shake out, but then I don't know if you've watched social media today, but the transfer portal has been going bonkers with people entering the transfer portal. I, Spencer Rattler, the quarterback at Oklahoma. Um, one of the commits I'm really watching is Oregon State's highest ranked recruit in Matthias Malachi Donaldson out of Oaks Christian. Edge rusher, 6'5", 220. Probably one of Oregon State's biggest positions of need right now. Um, and I really do think um, Oregon State's missing a good edge rush, um, another D tackle or two, um, and then some speed at outside line, linebacker to make the jump to, you know, like a, a nine, 10 win season. Um, what are you, what are you hoping to see in the next three weeks? I mean, do you want Oregon State to flip some guys? Are you, are you hoping they just hold on to who they have Carter? What are you, what are your thoughts? As far as the prep guys go, you know, just hold, hold on to them, make sure that they get on campus and, and, and get them signed on on signing day. But I, I think where Oregon State needs to shift their focus now, um, I, and I know that, you know, signing day hasn't even come around yet. So there's still work to be done with, with the prep guys. But I think there are a couple of times per year that you see the transfer portal really come into play. And the first week after the regular season ends is typically when it's at its busiest. And so I think they need to be out there right now. And I've, I've seen it, you know, Coach Smith is following guys on Twitter and all of the, you know, the recruiting staff, you know, they're, they're busy. Um, so they're fully aware of what's going on. And I think this is one of those times of year that you really need to be active. They'll, it'll happen again after the, um, after the late signing period, you know, you'll start to see some more guys enter the portal and then it'll happen again early summer um, before that deadline to become immediately eligible. So you're going to see it. It's going to kind of come in waves, I think. But uh, one thing Oregon State has done a very good job of under Jonathan Smith is um, bringing guys in year round through the portal. I just, I just think that, you know, there, there needs to be an emphasis on it right now because you're seeing a ton of talent from a ton of teams uh, enter the portal. You know, you know, one thing that struck me today as I'm watching all these players entering the portal from all over, from schools all over the country, um, including those going to bowl games, those going is, you know, what struck me is Oregon State hasn't had anybody entering the portal. That tells me that the coaching staff is doing something right and that the culture around Oregon State must be pretty dang good if you, because you, I mean, even in the best of times, you're going to have guys that want to try to try their luck at another school or, or move on and to have nobody enter the portal today. Um, it's, it's a pretty big testament to what they've been building in Corvallis. I think you're exactly right. And, you know, even last year, Oregon State lost, what was it, 10 to 12 guys, I think, via the portal. And obviously a lot of them, you know, were, were reserves, weren't necessarily getting a ton of playing time. Um, but yeah, no, Oregon State has lost some guys to the portal in recent years. And so the fact that here we are two days after the regular season's over, as I said, it's, it's a very busy time for the portal. The fact that everybody's remaining on campus to this point is a pretty good sign. And I think part of that too, is that Oregon State has something to play for now. You know, there's still more football left this season. And, you know, in the past, the lack of a bowl game, guys might be thinking, all right, season's over, you know, we're, we're done. I'm going to move on. I think you'll probably see some guys enter the portal after the bowl game, just by nature of the season coming to a complete close. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think the fact that there are 
still a couple of weeks left of the season. I, I think that's, you know, probably keeping some guys on campus a little longer. What, if you had to choose two positions that you would like to see Oregon State go out and just hit a home run or, a, I mean, get out of the portal, you want a guy that maybe, let's say he has three years eligibility, what position, what two positions are you looking for? Defensive line, for sure, for obvious reasons. Um, losing Keontae Shad, you know, that's going to hurt because he has really stepped up and he's he kind really of filled has. in. He's, he's kind of filled that Isaac Hodgins role. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody that you can rely on for four or five tackles a game who's getting into the backfield. Um, losing him will hurt. And obviously they the Beavers will get Hodgins back next year from injury. But um, you're going to need to bolster the depth on that line. You've needed to bolster it for years. Uh, and, and, and that problem is not going away. So that's the main position. And then I think you mentioned it too at the outside linebackers. You lose Andre, you lose Andre Hughes-Murray. Uh, you know, he's, he's moving on sixth year guy. Uh, that's, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen with Addison gums. Will he ever play again? We, we don't know. Those are probably your two best players of that position. And we never uh, saw Ryan Frankie either if, this year. Yeah. Was battling very, little, injury. very little. Yeah. Was battling an injury early on. John McCartan should be John healthy McCartan. next year. Yeah. We hope, but again, you know, if, if you're losing some of the, the guys that you expected to rely on or that you did end up relying on, uh, you, you're going to want to bolster that. And I, I think Oregon State's lack of a pass rush, um, you know, I, I think I think you got to work on that position. Okay, so one guy, and I think Beaver fans might have forgotten that Oregon State did pick up this transfer. He was a former four-star out of high school, at .918 out of high school, edge rusher out of Florida, Andrew Chatfield. And uh, I think I think that's sometimes Who? those trans, transfers get kind of lost in the shuffle, but that is one I think Oregon State fans would be super excited about. Um, I'm also excited. He's not as highly ranked, but um, tell you what, if you've been following the prep senior season of Damian Martinez, the running back that Oregon State has committed um, out of Louisville, Texas, the kids had monster game, game after game. Super excited. He was just named 6A, whatever league they were in, MVP, um, which in Texas is big. But um, he, I, I spoke with him yesterday. He is going to be on campus December 31st, moving in and rolling early and definitely one to watch, especially with BJ Baylor moving on. So a, a couple of notes there, Andrew Chatfield, you mentioned, you know, or, or Oregon State fans should not forget about this guy. First of all, he's on campus right now. He's practicing mm-hmm. with the team. He was actually scout team player of the week, either last week or the week before. So, I mean, not only is he practicing, but he's, you know, really contributing on helping the team prepare for games and obviously you know there's only so much he can do now that he's ineligible and you know needs to wait until uh, next season to play but he, he's on campus he's getting better he's getting involved in the scheme and um, that's that's something to look forward to next year for sure and, and Damian Martinez I mean these numbers that he's posting <laughs> let's not brush over the fact that he's typically only playing in the first half of these games because Louisville is winning by so many points that they don't even need to play him in the second half. I remember the first couple of weeks of the season, he had racked up a ton of touchdowns and I looked and I said, this guy's doing all this and playing a quarter and a half to two quarters a game. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. He um, has had some crazy, crazy numbers. Um, And so, yes, I think it'll be super exciting to see. Yeah. He's averaging. um, I'm just looking here, averaging 8.3 yards a carry. Um, he had over 1500 yards, um, and 30, 23 touchdowns this year. So that's, 
unreal when you consider that he's playing a half a game most, most of the time. Recruiting December 15th, mark your calendars. That's going to be a busy Wednesday. That is when I get up super early, make my coffee, and we'll have the uh, headquarters going in the lodge. We'll have discussion. We'll talk to coaches. It'll be a fun day. So make sure you're there. And uh, usually things wrap up pretty early in the day. So you'll want to be there early if you want to catch it all live. Um, Carter, you've got big stuff coming this week with the bowl game information. And again, one last plug for the 75% off, just because this is the best promo we will run all year at Beaver Blitz. Don't miss it. Um, it's, it's out of my control. I can't um, extend it. So you miss it, you miss it. And then you're going to be paying 75% more. So anyway, great um, episode of the damn podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode.